1: hi alexis hi melissa what's shaking muscle milk oh i I don't like that stuff but i needed some like i did hot yoga again today (laughs) and i my body's like (laughs) feeling (laughs) some protein some protein
0: i remember we worked with muscle milk like when we first started serendipit that's just what i attribute the brand to and like we were doing a lot in like the Student housing, college marketing space, and I just remember like we would be handing out Muscle Milk. And do you remember
1: we'd like make shakes too? Oh yeah, <laughs> like with <laughs> blenders at events. Like we yeah. we did some <laughs> crazy stuff. I don't know, how. but you know what? I have to say that's what everyone needs to know is like we didn't just started, started this- from the bottom. Now we're here. <laughs> I'm going to just start this agency and like it was all like 30 people
0: right away and like multi-million dollar business no we started with the two of us in the hot Arizona sun making muscle milk (laughs) and freaking signing leases for college students like we have done some weird stuff to get here
1: but it's fun and it's so fun to look back and we wore chili Chili pepper (laughs) costumes (laughs) oh my god
0: And speaking of just, like, creative stuff that we've done, I I think you know this, but, like, there's nothing that I love more than a creative PR stunt. I love it. You, too. I mean, it's so cool. You tell me that we have a client that, like, oh, they want to talk about, like, stunts and PR and, like, my eyes light up. I'm, like, ready to brainstorm. And we've been really fortunate to have some really cool clients who have allowed us to take liberties and come up with crazy big ideas for their brand to generate a wave of positive press coverage.
1: And what's cool is I really feel like, – I mean, we get so excited about the stunts. And thank God so far the stunts that we've done have all succeeded and been so successful. But I think our clients have trusted us too. Like, you know, this could go one way or the other. Well, we always think through all the possibilities. Yeah. That's the important factor in
0: why what we've done has worked really well. And where maybe some of the things we're going to
1: talk about today – haven't Well, let me just so say well. one thing that I don't think I, I mean, maybe you think through everything. I sometimes just do it and forget some logistics. Yeah, you do. And I, I wouldn't say anymore. You don't have to remind me. I'm, I've been in business with you for 13 years. <laughs> but I've learned, like that time we tried to bring the keg up the mountain. Yeah,
0: totally. That was a fail. The time you tried to drive, well, the time you did drive a giant RV. A forty
1: foot RV around you know Mill Avenue downtown Tempe. It wasn't a fail. No, I just but almost you just got kinda, arrested a few times, and you couldn't park it anywhere. Yeah, I mean the cops only. I mean, well, we'll talk about that later. But when I get involved, we're usually okay. When we battle, Alexis, did you think
0: about where you would park that thing? But really, a great PR stunt should feature something that is like really authentic to who the brand is, but it has to be so incredible or have that cool factor that will it'll entice the media to like cover the heck out of it, right? Yeah. So my favorite one that we've done. For our client Robbins Brothers, the engagement ring store, I mean, if you don't know that brand, it's a regional player with retail stores across the west coast from Washington, California, Arizona, and Texas, and as their name says, they sell engagement rings, wedding bands, jewelry, okay? And of course, they can sell online, but they have those stores. And they're not only known for selling jewelry, they're also known for their ability to like help you plan your dream engagement. And with this stunt, we wanted to bring that to light more. So we brought an idea to our client. We said, let's do a nationwide search for one lucky couple, and we'll call them our proposal ambassadors, and this couple will travel the U.S. over six months to scout the perfect proposal spots in the country, and they'll document those spots. And our vision was that the couple would travel just one weekend a month for six months, and they would budget. $2,000 per market and have 48 hours to spend it, and they'd have to find and document those romantic spots in that market in that time frame. It was really like the dream job that you didn't have to quit your day job for, right? Yeah, I mean, that was the coolest thing. It was, and like we also paid them an hourly wage, so like they had their travel expenses and they were paid. I mean, it blew up for the brand. It worked so well. The first year we launched it in 2019, we had 1,000 applicants. We had nearly 200 media placements, including like Travel and Leisure, Oprah Magazine, CNBC, Refinery29, I mean, so many. And in just a few short weeks, we had earned over $1 million in earned media value. And like, frankly, I think that's conservative for what actually ended up happening. We also saw a 300% increase in referral traffic to the client's website. Their Instagram and Facebook engagements like went up nearly 200%. I mean, it was huge. But... The reality is, not every PR stunt is like is that. like that. Yeah. There are quite a few failures, and in fact, many of them fail more often than they are successful. Often, I think these brands or the agencies behind them, they just don't think about all the
1: possibilities of what can go wrong with a stunt. And like who it can offend. I think that so many people, they just have this brilliant idea and they launch it and like, oh, did we think about every demographic or... Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And it's very easy to mess these
0: things up. Yeah. So even like the most amazing agencies and the biggest companies can fail at these, but planning is key and planning for the worst is always critical. And I mean, I know you hate sometimes, like I'm more of the pessimist in our relationship than you, like you you tend to be like glass half full and I'm like, eh, glass is almost empty, <laughs> but you need to like approach these things from like a pessimistic or more realistic way of looking at it in order
1: to see all the holes. Or you have people like us, like one with the crazy ideas yeah. and one that's the balancer. Totally. I think that's the way you need it. You need, like you need like two, two yeah. people. Yeah. Or two teams. Totally.
0: So I thought today it would be fun to do a little lighthearted episode and we can uncover some of the worst PR stunts that we've seen. So awesome. I have three. There are so many. So this is gonna be part one and in the future we'll probably have a part two, part three, who knows? Awesome. Okay? I can't wait. Okay, get ready. So the first brand up is Snapple. Do you remember Snapple? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty much Snapple was all the rage in the 90s. I think I read this,
1: but keep going. You probably did. Because I feel like this would be an idea that I would have. 100% this one. This (laughs) is
0: like, has Alexis written all over it. (laughs) So, I mean, Snapple, like I said, in the 90s, they were like the drink. Okay, they had crazy good commercials. Actually, I want to do a future episode on their commercials because... They were really good in the 90s. And the pop-top. Yes. And the campaigns really worked. But we're going to talk about a not-so-great move they made in 2005. Many companies have tried to utilize the Guinness Book of World Records to drive positive press. Right? Right? So, remember when you were little? Like, did you actually have, like I did, the hard copy of the Guinness Book of World Records? Yeah. Yeah. I remember loving to flip through it and, like, also being so enthralled and equally disgusted by, like, there was a picture. Because it would be black and white. Remember? It was, like, a, yeah, it was it was like was... a thick book. Like, a small little novel, it looked like. And it had black and white pictures. There was a picture of a woman with the world's longest fingernails. I will never oh forget this. Oh, my gosh. This. I totally remember that. Freaking spiral, curled nails. Like, ugh. Oh, my gosh. I'll never forget. So, that's my vision of Guinness Book World Records. But... It's a thing, and it is very newsworthy, like when a company attempts to earn a coveted spot in the Guinness Book of World Records. Snapple had what they thought was a brilliant plan. <laughs> <laughs> they would surpass the Guinness record for the world's largest popsicle. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's totally an
1: Alexis thing. Uh, this is like yes. way my And myself. they were like,
0: we're going to get so much press. It's going to be amazing. The brainchild of this stunt was their agency at the time, Deutsch. And supposedly, Snapple and Deutsch had been working on this stunt for, like, months and months and months. And they even enlisted the help of a team of scientists, engineers, and ice experts. How do you become an ice expert?
1: That's like the guy from Frozen.
0: Kristoff. <laughs> <laughs> he is an ice He's expert. He's an ice expert. Yes, they enlisted the help of Kristoff. Okay. Okay? In order to win the title, they would have to break the record that was originally set by a 21-foot ice pop in Holland in 1997. In Holland, Holland, where it's cold, right? I think it's cold most of the time in Holland. I don't know. I haven't been there. Google I don't it. Know. Google it. So in 2005, Snapple attempted to do just that. The day was June 22nd, the first official day of summer in New York City. Okay? So according to my research, I looked at the weather for this day. The high was about 80 degrees, and it was humid. So by 8.20 a.m. when this stunt began, it was already 75 degrees. They wanted to promote their new Kiwi Strawberry Snapple on Ice. So they mixed and froze a huge, 25-foot-tall, 35,000-pound, which is 17.5 tons, Kiwi Strawberry Popsicle. I mean,
1: sounds delicious, right? I mean... Yum. Yum. And Kiwi Strawberry was one of my favorite flavors. Oh yeah, delicious. In order to officially get awarded
0: the world's largest popsicle title, they would have to erect the popsicle to stand upright. And they chose Union Square to do this. Brilliant. Yes.
1: The concept's
0: great. Yeah. They trucked the giant frozen treat in a freezer truck from Edison, New Jersey to Manhattan, and they began the attempt to raise it with an enormous crane. And there's a nice little video I will throw up on our WillItStickPodcast.com for you to watch. Around 40,000 people showed up to watch the giant treat, and those people were in for quite a surprise. As soon as the Popsicle was taken out of the truck, and it was just elevated at a little angle, not even in the sky, just in the truck on a little angle, gallons of pink gooey liquid oozed out of the Popsicle (laughs) and into the streets pedestrians
1: began to flee, like, in terror. <laughs> I feel like this is, like, what was that, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids when the baby's just yes. walking down the streets like the giant popsicle shows up. Oh, my and, God. And, like, there was gallons of ooey, gooey, sticky stuff covering the streets. The
0: police and the fire departments were summoned. Breaking News Network, which monitors, like, police scanners, sent out what might be the most unexpected alert you would never thought you'd hear. Oh, my gosh. They said... A giant popsicle being displayed by Snapple has melted in the heat and sun and spilled all over 17th Street. FD on the scene, attempting to wash down the roadway. Sticky goo all over the area. Oh my god. In videos I watched, you can like see the team freak out behind the scenes. I mean, it's like they're all excited and then like this dude in this like suit and jacket is like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. One guy like punched a hole in a small area of the popsicle to see if it was frozen through all the way, like as the goo was coming out. The crane operator puts his head down. He's like, oh my god, how did I get into this? Officials began to like worry that cyclists and cars would slip in the ooze. It was that bad. Oh my gosh. So according to the New York Post, there were also several minor injuries
1: associated with the sudden wave of liquid. So you know what makes me think? Sometimes when we come up with these stunts, we send like, I come up with a stunt and then we send our team to do it. Like, I wonder what team was on the ground. What if it was like junior level team members? was No. But I mean, who was there to like avert this crisis? <laughs> I mean... Snapple
0: officially <laughs> pulled the plug when it was raised just at a 25-degree angle because of the mess. The mushy giant treat was then trucked away, and they thought it would be a good idea just to raise an ice sculpture with the Snapple logo in the air. But it wasn't. It didn't really solve the problem. There were many working theories as to why the stunt failed. The PR team said it got mushy on the trip from Edison— Or maybe the problem was the vibrations inside the truck, which might have changed the structure's consistency. Another claim was that maybe the molecular structure of the sugar, water, and ice, and the fact of where the stick was lying and temperature were the issue. I mean, duh, it's hot and it's a popsicle. Wait, so
1: I, yeah, how did they not think of this? Again, they (sighs) did not have the me and you team. They said they had ice people on it. Like, they had Kristoff telling them what to do, but...
0: So in theory, if it's that big of a Popsicle, it shouldn't melt that fast. So something did go wrong, clearly. Like, it should have survived for a little while. It didn't even survive. I mean, was there a test Popsicle? No, there was no test Popsicle. So right when it was clear that the stunt had gone wrong, Deutsch shifted gears from, like, the happy-go-lucky media relations to implementing its crisis plan. So the PR manager for Snapple at the time, her name was Lauren Radcliffe, she said, At the end of the day, we think that people had a great time. She said, if you're looking for brand awareness, I don't think there's a person in the United States of America who doesn't know that Snapple just launched Snapple on Ice Pops. And I would agree with her. People knew. (laughs) They knew. (laughs) They knew. I mean, I do think it's a little bit of a bigger deal than that, but she did play it off well. She also said that Snapple had no immediate plans to
1: attempt the stunt again, which... Is probably smart. Right? Well, Snapple, yeah. Or do a test pop. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Couldn't they have to done it in the winter? I know it's off season, but like I don't well, know. Popsicles. I mean I like eating popsicles or ice cream when it's cold. Really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting.
0: So Snapple Not so good. Not so good. Up next, American Airlines. Ooh. So I know we just recently covered airline ads in the 60s, but this little marketing stunt was really something else. So I had to put it in here. So the year was 1981. And American Airlines wasn't doing so hot. They had been seriously hit by the Airline Deregulation Act of 78. And as we already know, this act deregulated the airline industry in the U.S., which removed federal controls over areas like fares, routes, and market entry of new airlines. Okay. So in that airline ads we did, we talked about like part of the reason all of the airlines marketed the hell out of their their sexpot stewardesses was because of these government controls. Well, this was the act that changed that. Okay. So American Airlines posted a $76 million loss in 1980, and they were dealing with new competition, reduced ticket prices, and a changing industry that, frankly, was taking them down. So they had a new president, Robert Crandall, and he was on a mission to fix the problem. And at the core of the issue was they needed cash. Like, quick. Quick. Yeah. So in the early 80s, You probably don't remember this, but your parents for sure have told you about it. Interest rates were insanely high. If you got a 6% interest rate, like you were scoring big. Like 11% was the average and it rose to 20% by 1981. Whoa. Yeah. So the prime interest rate, which is an important economic measure, eventually reached 21.5% in June 1982, the year you were born.
1: In June, too. It's crazy, right
0: around my birthday. So good old Robert. So basically, why I said that is like he couldn't borrow the money. It was yeah. too freaking expensive. So good old Robert had a brilliant idea. They could raise capital from their own customers by selling their richest customers an ultimate travel perk. Okay. An unlimited first class ticket for life. I mean, oh wow! Sounds amazing. I that. Me too. The cost of this was a whopping. 250k. That was in the 80s. Yeah, which equals about 850 grand, like in purchasing power today. Wow, a lot of money. Like I don't have that kind of cash to just dump on. I mean, on, couldn't like,
1: people just buy their own plane?
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, the operating costs and like you couldn't go out and having a pilot on staff. No, yeah, there's no way. Like that. That's a lot of money. Period. The president initially thought that big corporations would be the ones who would end up buying these passes, like for their top performers but what he didn't think about was that the public would realize how much of a smoking deal this is and jump on it quickly apparently 66 people snagged the greatest travel deal in history 66 people paid 200 grand 250 grand wow. and it was called the a air pass the like aa air pass. air pass okay so for that one time 250 grand fee the pass gives one buyer unlimited first class travel for life and a companion pass could be purchased for an additional 150 grand. Oh, smart. So a pair could travel together unlimited. But in another mistake, you could change the companion anytime you wanted. So I'll tell you why that's important in a minute. <gasps> so you know who one of those lucky um, Air Pass holders was? Who? Our favorite shark, Mr. Mark Cuban. Of course, Mr. Mark Cuban. He said it was one of the best purchases he ever made. And he actually treated himself to the pass when he made his first million bucks. Isn't that kind of a cool little celebration? That's awesome. So I think the concept was interesting. I mean, if American Airlines had thought through it a little more, it would have probably been totally amazing. But the deal ended up costing American Airlines millions of dollars per year. And when it realized how much it had royally effed up in pricing this promotion, it canned the idea in 1994 and attempted to revoke the contracts it had made with those passengers. Let me just share some of examples of how these customers used the AirPass. So Steve Rothstein, he was an investment banker in Chicago. He was one of American Airlines' top flyers prior to buying the Pass. So he purchased it in the early 80s. He was like, hell yeah. And he spent 383 grand on the Pass and his companion Pass. Okay. Over the next 25 years, he proceeded to book more than 10,000 first-class flights. He took hundreds of trips to New York City, L.A., San Francisco. He went to London, sometimes 12 times a month. I mean, how cool. It'd be like you have your own plane. Yeah. He flew up to Ontario just for lunch. On occasion, he'd offer his companion pass to a complete stranger at the airport. Brilliant. That was like obviously before 9-11. Yeah. Another buyer, Jacques Vroom out of Texas, invested in the Air Pass and a companion pass. He took out a loan for 12% for 5 years in order to afford the 400 grandish ish that he needed. And over the next 20 years, he flew an average of 2 million miles per year. He would fly to all of his son's football games on the East Coast. He would go to France or London just to have lunch with a friend. When his daughter had a middle school project on South American culture, he took her to Buenos Aires to see a rodeo and flew back the next day. How cool. Cool fucking dad. Yeah. <laughs> so, fast forward to '07, when American Airlines was again in a major financial crisis, the company did some research and they realized that Steve and Jacques were, like who we just talked about, were two of the biggest problems, costing the airlines $1 million per year each. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> so, despite having no restrictions in the contract they signed when they forked over that money… They dug for reasons to revoke the passes. They claimed fraudulent activity since apparently Steve had made a ton of reservations that he would like then cancel. And Jacques apparently would book flights for strangers and they would pay pay him for those trips. Again, neither of those activities were banned in the contract.
1: Yeah, I mean everything should have been in the contract.
0: Yeah, but they ended up revoking their passes. And it's not even like they called or emailed them and were like, hey, we're revoking your pass. Maybe they did that. But what they actually ended up doing as well is they had guards freaking corner them in the airport. I mean, That's like crazy. they're criminals or something.
1: Like like they bought into something that American Airlines put out. Yeah. I mean, not a good look for American at all. And did they, did these yeah. guys,
0: yeah. Both men filed lawsuits. And when American filed Chapter 11 in 2011, all hopes of like getting anything from them was just gone. But interestingly, a good number of people, including Mark Cuban, still have access to their original AirPass. And while the company initially got the cash they needed, the negative press they accumulated from this PR stunt gone wrong, not to mention the million in lost revenue annually, millions I should say, clearly made this like a total flop.
1: I mean, here's the deal. I get it's lost revenue, but... These were like investors in the company, essentially. Basically. Like, they helped American Airlines get out of a hole and get to the next level. Like, I'm surprised they saw them as, like, actually losing revenue. I like, mean, they are investors. Like, yeah. why would they even think that seat is... Yeah. Losing money. That's a great question. I mean,
0: I, I wasn't in the boardroom. I don't know. But I feel like this was a bad call. <laughs> they, well, sh- mean, they should have
1: done something differently. And now Southwest. I mean, they're pretty strict with their companion pass. Oh, for it's sure. like, you know, yeah. you have to only change it three times. Well, and you're and still... Yeah, I mean, it's
0: there's so many restrictions on it. But the program didn't totally go away. Like, the initial program went away. But they did revamp it over the years. And today, if you, like, buy the air pass. It no longer offers lifetime or unlimited travel. Instead, it focuses on like prepaid fares at discounted fixed prices for frequent travelers. And a minimum commitment of $10,000 per traveler per year is required. That's a little interesting. I mean, I think it would it is an amazing deal. And I would 100% have bought one if I wasn't 11 years old. And if I had that kind of money. Yeah, if you had 400 grand just sitting around. For sure. But they totally should have handled it differently because they still get negative press today.
1: Wow. Yeah. That shows you a bad PR song gone wrong how long it can last. Oh, for sure. What's the, the f- next one? final brand is a little fluffier. Okay, I'm ready for some fluff. <laughs> We're talking about Build-A-Bear. Oh, it is fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> Literally fluffy. Have you taken your kids to Build-A-Bear? Yeah, and it's
0: extremely expensive. Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean... You definitely shell out a lot of money when you go there. I mean, the bear, the accessories, the The heartbeat. The the
1: song. It's like a freaking production. And then my kids always went, like, all these outfits. It's horrible. I'm like, I can go, like, I mean, I can't sew you an outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to buy the fact that you can sew? You can't sew. I can't sew. But you could go, like, get actual kid clothes and put them on these dolls. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: So... It's no secret that shopping malls and traditional retail shopping experiences are quite drastically different in today's era of, like, Amazon and internet shopping, right? Yeah. Many of the malls that I frequented as a kid are gone, and they're, like, replaced with housing developments or, like, maybe a more updated lifestyle outdoor shopping center, like, depending on the climate. Like, hereland, yeah. Like, hereland, yeah. So I saw a stat from CoreSite Research that estimates that 25% of America's roughly 1,000 malls will close over the next three to five years. And of course, the pandemic really accelerated the mall's demise a bit. So Build-A-Bear, they were stressed about this. I mean, they're a mall-based store. It's not the same experience to buy it online.
1: No, and it, it just what you said,
0: it's an experience.
1: Yeah, like, like you, you go have to in, go in. You go through the process.
0: It's like a person who stuffs your bear and asks you a million questions. And it's like, the yeah. kids love it. They love it. So build a bear had a brilliant idea to drive more customers into their physical stores with a promotion they called Pay Your Age Day in July 2018. Oh my gosh,
1: I think I went that day. You did? No joke. I did. We got those texts. They're stuffed in my ottoman because I try to hide stuffed animals, so I use it as stuffing for my furniture. Yeah, we bought these stupid dragons and we paid our age. How long was the line you waited in? I don't remember. It was pretty, I mean, it was one of those days where like, you know, you get the hype with your kids and you're like, we're going, we're going, we're going. And then we get there and it was packed. I'm like, shit. I know. We have to go. You're actually very lucky that you actually got one. And let me tell you why. Well, Um, because it's hidden at Fashion Square. It's in that weird corner that no one knows about. I mean, it was still a really long line. I saw the broadcast news about it.
0: And like we already said, like we have kids, so we know how pricey Build-A-Bears can be like after you add on all that stuff. So like this was a one-day nationwide promotion where every Build-A-Bear store customers could pay their age for any stuffed animal. I mean, the accessories were additional, but like the stuffed animals usually cost anywhere from like 14 to 60 bucks. Like yeah. it's a wide range. So if you have a 3 or 4-year-old kid, you're paying 3 or 4 bucks, which is a major price difference, you know. Yeah. It's a great deal. Adults pricing capped out at $29. So, I I mean, there were probably adults who went without kids. Yeah. Just like the adults who go to Disney without kids and on the Disney cruise without kids. I'm always just blown away by that. If you're one of those
1: people, more More power power to to you. you. Well, you probably have all the (laughs) secrets like Sawhill has about what to bring in your hydro flask. (laughs) Yeah. Shoot. But I'm not so into that. The promotion
0: went a little too well. Initially, it went a little too well. Customers flooded the mall. They waited in lines that wrapped around malls across the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. It was in July. So in some places, like Arizona, it was really hot. And some of the lines went outside because they were so long. Before the day was even half over, Build-A-Bear said it would not allow any more customers to enter its stores, citing crowds and safety concerns. So, shoppers posted pictures all over social media showing lines stretching through hallways and crowds creating chaos within the stores. Some compared the chaos and crowds to apocalyptic survival situations. Oh my God, I know. to get a Build Bear. <laughs> Someone tweeted, It's pay your age day at Build Bear. Queues are reportedly seven hours long. Bet it's like Hunger Games, but fluffier.
1: And here's the thing I mean, is Build-A-Bear like a one-time experience or is like, do you think you go back a lot? I mean, for me, it was a one-time experience. I'm never, I'm going back and my kids like at some summer camp, Build-A-Bear like traveled and they did it at their camp. So they were excited. Yeah. But I mean, it's not like a repeat customer thing. We've isn't? gone
0: a few times cause like we got, my in-laws don't need anything for actual gifts cause they have everything. So we bought them for Christmas, Build-A-Bears with the kids like voices Oh, cute. Um, If during COVID, like, we weren't hanging out with them at Christmas, so we thought it was a cute thing. So we've gone for gifts for other people. I mean, my grandparents have taken my kids, and I've taken them, so, like, yeah, they've
1: gone a couple times. I'm not going to buy them another one. My experience, it was just, like, it was chaos, like you said, and my kids, like, there was too many options, Mm -hmm. too many clothing options, all of that. Yeah, Totally. So in total, more than half a million people visited
0: Build-A-Bear stores on pay your age day, making it the highest measured day of store traffic in the company's history. So good for them for that, right? yeah. The company thought it could make it right, like for this situation that just went horribly wrong when people were waiting in line and then getting turned away. They thought they could just give them a voucher for $15 off to use later. Unfortunately, customers were not happy with this deal, and some were super pissed. The tweets came flying in from angry customers. One angry dad wrote, angry and fuming, we are working parents. My wife is having to drive 100 miles after work to get to a store to take up the offer, and now we have a two-year-old in meltdown that she's not getting a bear. Well, that's a pretty dumbass move to drive 100 miles for Build-A-Bear, dude. I do agree with that. Then customers started turning on each other and making fun of parents for standing in line for Build-A-Bears in the first place. One woman tweeted, to everyone putting down the parents that went, some parents cannot afford Build-A-Bear. Some parents saw this as an opportunity to finally give their kids a -A Build-A-Bear experience. Tons of moms left crying. That's kind of sad. But the CEO in the company claims that despite the angry customers, it was a successful campaign. The campaign boosted sales initially, The media coverage about Pay Your Age Day was positive until it wasn't. The CEO was quoted saying that Pay Your Age Day helped demonstrate people's continued interest in the brand. But to me, it just demonstrates that consumers are interested in a deal. Like,
1: I don't think it was about the Buildware brand. No, the deal was way too low. I mean, I think the concept was kind of cool, but... Here's the other thing, pissed off customers, it's like any sale or anything. You get in line, you don't make it. It is what it is. But people it's don't life. look at
0: it that way and like they assume it's a guarantee. And then like all the media buzz they had around it, like, while I do think it was like extremist that some people were freaking out, like, I understand the customer or the brand should have handled it differently. Yeah, I, don't I mean, think they I handled just, it well.
1: And imagine yourself with like a meltdown kid in line, of course. And then you're just like, fine, I'll just pay full price at some point. A
0: reporter named Tom Papomaronis—that's a great name, I know—with Inc. magazine had a good perspective on this. He said that the promotion's failure, like, had nothing to do with the stuffed animals. It was all in their corporate response, which I totally agree with. The company issued a response late in the day on July 12th, the day of the promotion, and it read, We feel it is important to share that, based on all the information available to us before the day began— we could not have predicted this reaction to our Pay Your Age Day event.
1: I mean, really? You didn't? Wasn't that the whole
0: point? Yeah, you didn't predict that all this earned media and all the social media like would drive a ton of customers? I mean, this is not a mom and pop shop. This is a publicly traded company who pulled in like $350 million a couple years ago in yeah, revenue. what the heck? I mean, the reporter said that instead of the $15 voucher, he would have preferred to see a response like this. We don't know at this time what we're going to do to make this right, but rest assured we will. We have your contact info and we will reach out to you as soon as possible. Thank you again for your loyalty and please give us a chance to make it up to you." Yes, they didn't even have to give the vouchers at that point. They should have like just gotten their ducks in a row, apologized, acknowledged that they did not think it through fully and then thought about it and then figured out maybe it's $15 like gift card, maybe it's something else.
1: You know what's smart though? Hopefully every brand thinks through, again, all the holes, what's going on, what could fail. But I feel like if you're going to do a PR stunt, you should have a crisis plan that's like backed up just in case. Oh, totally. And it's like the worst possible thing that could go wrong, let's be at least prepared.
0: Yeah. Right? For, I mean, you have to. You have to think through all the possibilities. Otherwise, it's not worth the risk. If you're not willing to think about the negative implications, it's not worth the risk.
1: Because of course, in today's world, you cannot win with anything. Oh, no. There's like no way. you got to figure it out. Yeah.
0: I mean, regardless, this stunt did bring revenue and earned media and social buzz. Yes, it brought all those things. But did it make the brand look good? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, the brand did do one thing right after this mishap. Because you're right. The pay your age day idea was a brilliant concept. They just implemented it wrong but now they changed the pay your age program into an ongoing birthday offer so according to their website they call it the count your candles program and it's a year round birthday offer where you can bring the birthday boy or girl into the workshop any day during the month of their birthday to count their candle and the age they're turning is how much it costs to make their own birthday treat bear and there's no coupon needed oh that's really smart it's way smarter yeah cuz then you have 365 days of potential for customers to use it versus one. But they
1: wanted to generate, the thing is they wanted to generate those lines. Like that was the point. They were like, let's do it. They just didn't think how pissed off people were or like, you know, when we do events with lines, like you got to think through all the scenarios. Are they hot? Give them water. I mean, you got to keep them happy before they purchase your product, right? Totally. Yeah, totally. Or have an experience. Yep.
0: Interesting idea not great in execution, but I'm excited that they transitioned it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that was so, very cool. Yeah. So, what do you think overall about these three PR stunts?
1: I mean, I think everyone listening should learn a few lessons. <laughs> I know, because
0: it is really fun to brainstorm the big ideas. And I always say to my team, and like you say it too, like there's no bad ideas in brainstorming. You can never go too big when you're brainstorming. Don't think about the logistics. Just like throw all the crazy big ideas up on the whiteboard. And then, when you narrow it down, like when you're really gonna get into one idea, like you gotta bring in the attorney, you gotta bring in the PR person, you gotta bring in like all the naysayers, because if you don't think through all the possibilities, you could really royally screw up. Yeah, like that
1: giant freaking goo all over New York City streets. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, to that in my mind, if it would have been pulled off, would have been awesome. Totally, it would have been awesome. So, before we
0: wrap up, I'll shout out my sources. The New York Times had a great article about Snapple's popsicle debacle by Anthony Ramirez from June 05 titled, A Shocking Thing Happened to the Big Popsicle. It Melted. <laughs> <laughs> I also read the Hustles article by Zachary Crockett titled, The Rise and Demise of the A Air Pass," American Airlines' 250K Lifetime Ticket from April 2018. And finally, Mashable had a great article titled, Build-A-Bear's Pay-Your-Age-Day Was an Absolute Disaster,
1: and that was by Morgan Sung in July 2018. I have one other thing. Oh. I mean, did they think through after they put the popsicle up? I mean, it was going to melt, right? Yeah. So did I don't they know, what the plan? Backup, like, <laughs> was there like a drain? Like, literally. I mean, it was going to melt at I some point. I think what they thought was... We'll erect it so we
0: win the record and then we'll take it down and put it back in the truck. Or maybe they were going to have like a giant like eating
1: contest. I don't, no one got that far. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, thank you guys for listening. We hope you loved this episode and hopefully you learned a few tips when you're creating your next PR stunt. And we'll hope you come back for next week for some awesome new stories and follow us on Instagram. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please, please, please give us a five-star review and tell us what you thought and give us suggestions. We love suggestions. Yes. And we want to hear about like Pierre's sense that you might have done that were good, bad, or otherwise. Because <laughs> actually, Melissa and I love having a just, glass of wine yeah, talking about this stuff. Yeah, totally. So you can also follow us on Instagram at WillItStickPodcast and visit us online at WillItStickPodcast.com for all the show notes, videos, and all of our sources. Thank you. Thank you. See you next week. Bye.